So when I moved to Louisville uh, about two and a half years ago, um, I quickly, well, I learned the hard way about toll bridges. So in uh, Louisville, if you, you know, most of you have probably visited there, you see, you know, the Ohio River goes right by downtown, and you can just look over the river, and you can see Indiana. I mean, it's just right over there. And uh, early on in my residency at Southeast, one of the things we were supposed to do is go around to all the different campuses on a Sunday and kind of, you know, visit and help out and see how all the campuses kind of operate. And so this particular Sunday, I was heading over to the Indiana campus of Southeast Christian Church. And so, of course, I'm new. I, I don't know how to get there. So I pull up Google Maps. I type in, you know, Indiana campus, Southeast Christian Church, take the first route it gives me, and there I go. And of course, I realized, it was too late by then, but I realized there is a toll road. There is a toll bridge on my route. And I'm like, well, I, personally, if I can get around toll roads, I will get around them. Like, I just don't like paying, paying for the road, I guess. So by, by then, it was too late. Like, I'm on the road. I'm going across it. I'm noticing it's like $4. I'm like, that's a really steep price for a bridge. Okay. And of course, they take a picture, and they, they conveniently mail you your bill. So of course, they mailed it to my dad, because that's what came up under my car. So thanks, Dad, for paying, paying that uh, toll road for me. So of course, you know, I drive across the bridge. I get to the other side, do my thing, come back, and learn later that, wait a minute, there are three ways to get to Indiana. Like, I didn't have to pay for this toll. I could have gone another way. And the locals then clued me, and there's, there's several ways to get to Indiana. So yes, there's that toll bridge. And there is another toll bridge a little further uh, northeast up the river. But then there's also a bridge that is totally free. And it's just a couple blocks from the toll bridge that costs however much it was to drive through it. And all you have to do is you just take an exit, go downtown, drive a couple blocks over, and you just take that bridge over. Now, granted, that bridge is much narrower. The speed limit's a lot lower. And it's painted right now this really weird yellow mustardy color. I guess it's supposed to be the color of bourbon. Doesn't look like that to me, but whatever. Um, so, you know, you could take that bridge, and it's free. Or you could take I-64 west towards St. Louis. There's another bridge, and then you're over in Indiana. So it just depends. Like, which way do you want to go? Now, yeah, the toll bridge is really nice. It's, you've got lots of lanes, and it's really fast, and it's very convenient. Or you can not pay that. And if you want to have a much more uh, fun, and this is a great date night idea, Jen and I did this several times, there's a walking bridge, and that's free. You just drive downtown, find a place to park, and you just walk across this bridge, and they have music playing, and they have lights on it at night, and there's usually street performers, and right when you get to the Indiana side of the bridge, there's an ice cream parlor, there's a pizza shop, there's uh, a coffee shop a couple blocks down, there's a game store, there's a nice restaurant, so there's all these different ways to get to Indiana. So if we just said, hey, let's go to Indiana, you've got five ways you could get there. Just depends on what you want. Do you want a little more of a stressful route? Do you want a quick route? Do you want to pay for it? Do you want to be free? Do you want to walk and get some steps in? You know, what do you want to do? But now let's change the destination. Let's say you, instead of just wanting to go to Indiana, you want to go to Indianapolis. Now the walking bridge does not sound like such a great idea. Because sure, it'd be a fun experience for about the first, you know, 15 minutes. But then how are you going to drive the rest of the way if your car is on the Kentucky side? Now, the toll bridges both work. They're going to get you there fast. They're going to conveniently keep you on the interstate. You could take I-64. I mean, you could even 
just take a slightly more stressful route and take the free bridge downtown. Just It's up to you. And here's, just like toll roads work, that's kind of how our money works as well. When you pick your destination, you have all these decisions then that you make about money based on where you want to go. You know, so for example, if the destination is you want to own a house, well, there's 15-year mortgages, there's 30-year mortgages, there's even other mortgage options between those two. You know, there's, well, how much of a down payment do you want to save up for? And that determines your payment. And then, I mean, if you want to take the Dave Ramsey approach, you just save, save cash. Like, I'm just going to save and save either 20% of a down payment or we're just going to save until we have cash to buy a house outright, right? You have all these options. And some of them are more convenient, some of them are easier, some of them are harder, it just depends on what you want to do. And just like toll roads, kind of, they can change how we want to get somewhere, our money can also determine how we get somewhere as well. So kind of the question for us to ask is, well, how can money help us get where we want to go? How can money help us get where we want to go? But of course, that means, well, where do we want to go? Right? Where's our destination? Because that's where you got to start. And we live in a, in a world, in a culture where most financial advice is like, if you were to ask, okay, so where do you want to go? Well, I want to be wealthy. Like, how do, we, how do we have more money? Right? Like, how do we have a bigger retirement? How do we get a nicer house? How do, like, how do we have more money? Right? Like, how do I get wealthier? That's usually the, the destination. How do I do that? But Solomon gives us this warning against that in Proverbs 23. He writes, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And my guess is you've probably felt that at least once in your life, right? Where you you get your paycheck, you pay some bills, you do some fun things, maybe you get something you've always wanted, and then maybe it's you check your bank account or you open your wallet and you're like, where did all my money go? Like, what, what happened? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And we've probably all experienced that where it just, it just seems to fly away. It just, gets the, it just gets spent on something, somewhere, somehow, right? Or as they say, more money, more problems, right? Like, it's just, you think if we just had more money, things would be easier. And actually, usually it, it gets harder, right? And so Solomon says, hey, if your destination is just wealth, that's probably not a, a great goal to chase in life. You're probably going to wear yourself out. It's not going to last. And the money, it's just going to go. Like, you're never going to quite get there. So he, he's like, that may not be the best, best place to end up. And if you're familiar with the words of Jesus, I mean, Jesus had a lot to say about money. In fact, Jesus talked more about money than any other topic during his ministry. He talked about money more than salvation, more than heaven and hell, more than discipleship. I mean, that's what he talked about the most. In fact, there are more verses in your Bible about money than even Jesus. Like, money is mentioned more than Jesus in the Bible. Only, like, God is mentioned more in your Bible than money. Pretty crazy, because... God knows our money affects our relationship with him, and our relationship with him affects how we use our money. And even Jesus said, it's, it's easier to take a camel and fit it through the little, the little eye of a sewing needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So money must really matter. So let me take you back to the first week of our series and remind you something that Caleb said. 
Caleb said the foundation of wisdom is an engaged and relational knowledge of God. And that relational knowledge of God is so important because our relationship with God is closely connected to our money. And so Proverbs has quite a bit actually to tell us about money because Solomon knows money will affect your heart. And so if I could, if I could just kind of sum it up and give us a sentence to kind of guide us and direct us this morning, it would be this. Wise use of money builds your trust in God. Wise use of money builds your trust in God. If you use money the way that the Bible talks about, you will find yourself growing in your relationship with God. You will find yourself trusting him more, not less. So let's just look at four quick principles from Proverbs about money. So here's the first one. Earn money righteously. Earn money righteously. Here's just a few Proverbs about that. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. And this, you know, this probably seems obvious. Like basically Proverbs says, the best way to make money is work hard. Like, have a job, have income, like that's the best thing to do. Don't just sit around and always talk about this grand plan for how you're going to make money. Don't always have these, these schemes and these, you know, get-rich-quick things. It's like, just don't do that. The best way is just work hard, have a consistent income, like that, that's the best way to do it. Because there's all kinds of ideas out there that aren't so great to make money. Uh, here's an example of one of them, so watch this. Phil recruited me to sell these cards, and now I am recruiting you. Who is this guy again? Don't worry about Phil. He drives a Corvette. He is doing just fine. Okay. Calling cards are the wave of the future. These things sell themselves. Who uses calling cards anyway? You know what? That's a nice attitude, Ryan. I'm just helping you invest in your future, my friend. This sounds like a get-rich-quick scheme. Yes. Thank you. You will get rich quick. We all will. Didn't you lose a lot of money on that other investment, the one from the email? You know what, Toby? When the son of the deposed king of Nigeria emails you directly asking for help, you help. His father ran the freaking country, okay? All right, so raise your hand if you want to get rich. All right. No, um, how is this not a pyramid scheme? All right, let me explain again. <laughs> Phil has recruited me and another guy. Now we are getting three people each. The more people that get involved, the more people who are investing, the more money we're all gonna make. It's not a pyramid scheme. It is a, it's not even a scheme per se. It's... I have to go make a call. So pyramid schemes are not the best, you know, they're not a great way to make money, right? And there's, there's other ways we've seen or heard where people try to convince us, hey, here's a great way to make a whole lot of money really quick, it's really easy. Usually not. There's usually some trick involved, it's, it's not as good as you think it is. Because here's what Proverbs understands, is that God made the world to work a certain way. And one of the things that God did is he gave us all skills and abilities and talents and he gave us a job. You know, like we talked about last week, your work matters to God. And because God cares about your work, he made the world in such a way that he gave you a role to play, and doing that job, doing that work, helps provide and meet some of your needs. He gave you that as a gift to help take care of you. 
But if we don't earn money the way God has planned, we might say, well, instead of trusting God, I trust myself. I trust my abilities. I trust my ways of making money. Or we start trading in our integrity and our character for a dollar. Because God cares about the way you make money. He cares about that. Here's the second principle. Avoid debt as much as possible. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, here's the thing. Proverbs, if you read through all of Proverbs, Proverbs hates debt. Like, there are so many little Proverbs and rules and passages about how foolish it is to agree with somebody to have a debt and go into debt, like, it doesn't like it. The rest of the Bible does not like debt at all. And none of us like debt. Like, let's be honest. No one is excited to open up the checkbook or jump online and make a payment to your credit card company or your bank. Like, no one, no one loves doing that, right? We, you want to have that money freed up so you can, like, do something with it. None of us like debt. We want to be out of debt. But here's the reason that I've added on as much as possible. Because um, the reality is we live in a world where to never, ever, 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 ever have debt is really, really hard, maybe even impossible, right? It's like earlier we talked about if you want to buy a house. Chances are, if you want to buy a house, you're going to have to get a mortgage, right? Otherwise, you might be saving for a very, very long time in order to get the house. Now, there are things you can do, like you can save up for the down payment. You can sometimes have restraint to say, okay, instead of getting that house, we're going to go get this other house. Like, we don't need that big of a house. We can afford this other house. Or, for example, college and student loan debt. Sometimes the reality is, hey, to get that, that degree, that's just what it costs. And this is the world we live in. And on the other side of that degree, you'll be able to make a whole lot more money than you're making now, which will help you pay the debt off really fast on the other side of it. So it's, it's, it's okay to do it. It might not be that foolish of an idea to do it. But there are things you can do. You can try to work through school. You can get, do as much to get as many scholarships as possible. Sometimes you might even have to choose a different school because it's not as expensive as another school. There's different ways to do that, but sometimes we just have to say, okay, how can I avoid this debt or how can I make it as low as possible? So there's a science experiment done back in the 60s by a Dr. Walter Michelle, and here's what he did. He would take kids, he'd put them in a room by themselves, and he would give them one marshmallow. And he would say, here's the deal. You can have one marshmallow now, or you can wait for me to come back, and I will give you two marshmallows. What, what would you take? You know? Of course, all the kids are like, oh yeah, I'll wait. I can wait. I can wait for a second marshmallow. Like, all right. And so he'd leave, and they'd begin to observe the kids from another room. And this is how most of the kids would would act. You know, they'd have their one marshmallow there and they'd stare at it. Some of them would like, they'd pick it up and lick it, see if anyone swap, put it back. Some kids would like tear little pieces off around the edges of the marshmallow and start eating it to try to make it look like they, they'd eat one side and then just like turn it. So it's like, I didn't eat anything. Some kids eventually, after sitting there for a few minutes, they would just plop the thing in their mouth. They would just give up, like, I, I can't do it. And the doctor, he'd come back, like, what happened? Like, well, I ate it. I was hungry. It looked really good. It tasted really good. It's like, well, you don't get a second marshmallow. And other kids, he would go back and, oh, great job. There's your second marshmallow. Like, can we eat it now? Yeah, you can eat it now. 
And they were so excited. So here's what he did. He went 15 years later and interviewed all of the same kids again and went to see, see where they were in life. Here's what he found. Out of the kids who waited for the second marshmallow, virtually 100% of them graduated from high school, had ACT and SAT scores of an average of 210 points higher than their peers. They all got into college or already had a job lined up after high school. He even discovered their body mass index was lower than their peers. Pretty incredible, all because for some reason as a kid, they knew that it was better to wait for the second marshmallow. In other words, delayed gratification. It works for a whole lot more in your life than just money. And I think we all know this, but the way that a lot of banks, credit card companies, a lot of people, the way they make money is convince you to get a debt, get a loan, because that's where they're going to make the money. They're going to make the money off of all of the interest you're going to pay. They're banking on you not paying it off. They're, they want to convince you, oh, this credit card, it's got such a great deal. You get all these points, you get this cash back, blah, 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 blah. But what they're really hoping is you won't pay it off every month. And they'll, make, they'll keep making money off of you all the time. Because what they want to convince you is, no, you deserve that one marshmallow right now. And as we grow up, the marshmallow just changes. You know, it, it becomes a house, it becomes a car, it becomes, you know, a bigger TV, it's remodeling the kitchen, it's whatever it is. And instead of waiting, saving up for it, finding other wise options, it's, well, let's just, let's just do it now put on the credit card, take out a loan, do this, do that, and you end up in debt. And as we all know, when you're in debt, it, it definitely feels like what Solomon has to say. The borrower is slave to the lender. You just feel like you are enslaved. Every month, you've got to pay somebody money, and it's basically going to this debt you've had. And Solomon says, hey, that's not great, that's not wise, so do what you can to stay out of it. And I would say the one place especially we should really take him seriously is credit cards. Just, and this is, again, this is not rocket science, but pay your credit card off every month. Like, come on, all right? There you go, marshmallows. I'm just gonna leave those here. Can, can you wait? Can you wait? Okay. So uh, number three, pay attention to your finances. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Basically, it's good, it's wise to pay attention to your money and to have a plan, to have a budget, to kind of know what's going on. I think you could even use this proverb to say it's, it's probably good to have like emergency fund or a rainy day kind of fund in case things happen, because we all know things are going to happen, you're not expecting or prepared for, and to just pay attention to what's going on. Because it's all God's anyway. And so he's trusting us with some of it. So the question is, okay, do I, do I know where it is? Do I know where it's going? Do I know how I'm using it? Do we have a plan every month so we don't overspend? Like, do, do we know where our money's going? This, is, this happened a few times when I was in uh, college. Somebody in the dorm would, at one point, they'd come out of their dorm room, and they would just look so distraught. And we're like, what, what's wrong? Like, I just, I just looked, got my credit card bill, or I just looked at my bank app. I'm like, what? I spent $700 at Taco Bell last month. And we're like, that's a lot of money. We're in college, but it's Taco Bell. How, like we're trying to think, how many, like how many grande burritos do you have to buy? Like how many beefy five layers do you need? Like 
We never figured it out. Anyway, Solomon's just saying, look, it's good to have a plan, and it's good to know what's going on. And of course, there's all kinds of different, you know, financial planners out there that can help you with this. Like, what's the best way to do this? How, you know, what, where's the best place to put our money? There's all kinds of, of good things for that. But I think one of the things that Solomon is sitting on here, especially when he says, riches don't last forever, is this. No matter how much you save, no matter how much you make, you don't get to take it with you. It's not going to be there forever. It's going to sprout wings and fly off like an eagle. Like it's, just, it's not always going to be there. And sometimes, I think what can happen, I think this is, Proverbs says it's good to have a plan. Like it's probably wise to have, you know, some insurance and some savings in case of emergencies or different things. But my question for us would be, do you trust God or do you entrust your insurance policy? Do you trust God or your emergency fund? Because there's a fine line between, hey, we have, a, we have a reasonable rainy day fund set up. There's a difference between that and, and feeling so secure because you've got this money stockpile that you just keep building it. Because it just it helps you to feel, you just feel safer when you know there's more money in this bank account somewhere. And at some point, you, you have to trust God. Like, you can't prepare for everything. You've got to just trust God. Because your relationship with God, that's going to last forever. Your money won't. You know, and John D. Rockefeller, um, very famously, when he passed away, a, a news reporter went to his accountant to interview him and asked, well, how much money did Mr. Rockefeller leave behind? To which the accountant famously replied, he left all of it behind. Because when you die, you don't, get to, you don't get to take any of it with you. you don't, at that point, it's whatever you set up in a, in a will or some kind of a fund, like whatever you told people to do legally, that's what's going to happen to it. Like You don't get to use it. So it's good to know how our money is being done. It's good to be aware of things. But we, at the end of the day, we, just, we have to just trust God with what's going to happen. Here's the fourth, fourth principle. Say yes to generosity. Now, so much more of Proverbs than anything else with money, just there's so many Proverbs about just being kind and generous and giving away what you have. So here's just a few of them. Proverbs 3. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Proverbs 11. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Proverbs 14. It is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 22, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And Proverbs 28, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. So Proverbs and the Bible is just full of, give your money away. Don't have like a tight, closed fist, have an open hand. Be looking for ways to bless and help out others. Now, when I was uh, growing up, I got to see this displayed through me, for me firsthand through my grandparents. So we had this tradition that probably many of you have, which is Sunday after church, you go out to eat. And so my grandparents would take us out to eat every Sunday and would never let my parents pay the bill, no matter how much they argued about it. Grandpa and grandma always paid the bill. But on several occasions, we would be there at the restaurant and there'd be kind of a commotion we would notice in the front. And some, somebody would walk in who you know, appeared to be prob probably homeless or down on their luck. And they were talking to the, the host or the hostess about, is there any way I can get a meal? Like, do you have, can I just have scraps? Is there like a, a meal in the kitchen that somebody messed up that I can have? Can I, 
wash some dishes and you'll give me some food, like anything. Is there anything we, I can do? And most places would just be like, no, we, d- we don't do that here. You need to leave. Like, you need to get out of here. You're disturbing the customers. Go away. And whenever that would happen, my grandpa would grab the nearest server and say, go ahead and serve them, sit them down, get them a table, get them whatever they want, and bring me the bill. Like, that's just, that's just what grandma and grandpa did. Many times they would see an old friend while out to eat, and again, grandma and grandpa, they'd tell the waiter or the waitress, hey, bring me, bring me their tab, bring me their bill. And of course, they'd, they'd you know, ask for their bill, and oh, somebody already paid it. Like, Larry, like, Larry, Judy, stop it. Let us pay for our meal once in a while. Come on, guys. Like, they would just, you know, do that. Of course, my grandpa, he would just laugh. Oh, you know, get us next time or whatever. And they just did that. Now, I, I have no idea financially where my grandparents, you know, stand. Like, I've never seen spreadsheets or bank accounts. Like, I, nothing. I, don't, I have no clue. All I saw is they were always really generous with what they had. They're always trying to help somebody out when they saw a need. They were always like that with, of course, with family. And still, to this day, when I talk to my grandparents on the phone, they're always making sure, like, hey, is your car okay? Is this okay? Is that okay? Do you need help? Do you need money? Do you need this? Do you need that? Like, no, Grandpa, we, we have a job. Like, it's okay. But he's like, hey, do you need help? Like, they're just always trying to be generous. And so growing up, I saw that's what you do with money. You use your money to help other people. Like, that's just what I got to see growing up. And since I have the microphone, I get to do this. Um, because today is my grandparents' 60th wedding anniversary. And at some point this week, they're going to watch this sermon online because every week they tell me, hey, we're, gonna, we're catching up on your sermons. We're, we watch every week. And so at some point, grandma and grandpa are going to watch this on the internet. And so I just want to take a minute and say, hey, congratulations, grandma and grandpa, on 60 years. Thanks for helping me become who I am. Love you guys. So here's the deal. The amount of money you make doesn't have anything to do with generosity. It's just all about what do you do with what you have? What do you do with what you have? You don't have to get really wealthy to then be generous. You can be generous right now with whatever you've got. And always be on the lookout for ways to say yes to generosity, for ways you can help people. You know, get to know your neighbors, get to know the people around you, and just keep your eyes open. Like, sometimes it's pretty obvious. Like, you can tell, like, huh, that, that person probably needs some help with this. Or maybe I can go over and I can help them fix that in ways that we can use not just our money, but our time and our abilities to take care of others and show them God's grace. So there's just, you know, four basic principles from Proverbs. And that's probably not rocket science. Like, probably most of you walked in here, you already knew those things. Like, that's not crazy hard. Most financial advice in the world will tell you to do those things. Like, that's not hard. But here's where the Bible's really different from the rest of the world. So as I was studying through the book of Proverbs, I found this prayer in Proverbs chapter 30, and it really uh, just stuck out to me. So I'm going to share this with you. This is the prayer of a wise man named Agur. And here's what he prayed. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I mean, his prayer is just, hey, don't let me go to either of these two extremes because then I'm, I'm not going to act rightly. I'm not going to act like a real follower 
of Jesus. On one side, he's like, hey, don't let me become so rich that I stop needing you, God. Don't ever let me get there. And on the other side, don't let me become so poor that I have to lie and cheat and steal and work the system to, in order to, to get things. He's like, hey, just, just help take care of what I need each and every day. And if that's what you have, you're not poor and you're not rich. And I think this is a prayer that a lot of us probably need to pray, is ask for God's help to live between poverty and riches, to live kind of in the middle where our, needs, our daily needs are met, but we're also not drifting off into riches and saying, God, I don't need you. I've got my emergency fund. I've got this insurance policy. I've got this retirement account. I've got all these things lined up and taken care of. I don't really need you. It might be an interesting experiment sometime for you just to think about all the things you don't have to pray for. Like, when's the last time you prayed for God to help you buy groceries? Or when's the last time you had to ask the Lord to not let a car repair get too expensive because you just couldn't afford it if it went over a certain amount? For a lot of us, there's very little that we really need to pray God need to pray to God for for our for our stuff. It's like, no, we're good. Like for the most part, you you've got money for groceries. You're not worried about that. But just it does something. It does something to how you trust and how you relate to God when you really truly need Him for just daily things. And so I think this is a prayer I want to challenge all of us to to just be praying, Lord. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Don't give me that. Because wise use of money will build your trust with God. And if you're struggling with trusting God, you should probably take a hard look at your finances. And if you're having trouble with your finances, you should probably take a look at your relationship with God. Because probably one of them is off. Because God knew they're deeply, deeply connected. Because following Jesus means we trust him with everything. We don't look to replace him. We don't look to put our trust in other things. We trust him completely and totally. And even with our money, we say, God, it's yours. I trust you with it. So as we get ready here in the next couple minutes to take communion together, I just want to give us all the chance to pause and slow down and reflect and prepare ourselves for communion. So would you just take a couple minutes where you're at and just kind of silently reflect and prepare yourself for communion.